bum bum bottom 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 bum b
his that's likelihood a, that's actually a pretty good of strategy. reading it and enjoying it. You know, we've uh, been discussing uh, a lot of World War II together. You know, I've been going through Max Hastings' book Inferno, which takes you through World War II uh, from the very beginning, from the invasion of Poland, basically. And Dad and I have been having a great time and talking about it. And and Dad has asked, like, well, are there comics about World War II? And I'm like, oh, heck yeah, there are. And so I feel like that's where I'm going to go next. I'm going to go with some World War II comics. And... I, I kind of want to go with some manga, some Ooh. World War II manga, give him Barefoot Gen maybe and see what he thinks about that. Um, or maybe like Showa. Like, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm also up for listeners giving me some suggestions as well. Mom's a little bit more tricky. I'm thinking something along the lines of, oh my goodness, what is that uh, Bear Bakery manga? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, what is that title? Baby Bear's Bakery. Yes, yes, Baby Bear's Bakery. The book I is freaking, so cute. It's so cute, and and it's not dense, yeah. right? So I think that's a great entryway for mom. Um, but again, like the, like the challenge is I can maybe get them to read one book every couple of years, I just can't get them to then go like comics are my thing. Yeah, but that's okay. You can't pressure everyone into loving comics. That's it, not that's not in the spirit. Yeah, yeah. I have the same thing with musicals. I try to pressure everyone into admitting they already like musicals, and they <laughs> refuse. They refuse. Uh, so many rebel tendencies out there, Lisa. Yeah. Also, a couple Sundays ago, we concluded our first year of our comic book film club at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia. We screened Flash Gordon. Uh, the Mike Hodges film. And it was the first time for me. I had never seen it before. And what did you think? I loved it so much. It was like literally so like cozy. And I love like that aesthetic that like kind of like early 80s, almost leaning 70s vibes. Yeah, and so much money was thrown into the production design of Flash Gordon. And it's gorgeous. And incredibly dated, which is like two of my favorite things. And we had uh, Dan Schade, the current Flash Gordon cartoonist, do a virtual introduction for us. And I think one of the things that he said in that intro that I connected to was this idea that Star Wars is virgin Flash Gordon. Mm. <laughs> when you watch the 80s Flash Gordon film, you can't help but connect to its horniness. That movie is so crazy sexualized. I think in an extremely po like sex-positive way. Yeah. Like I'm thinking of the scene where Flash and Aura are going to Mongo and Aura is like trying to like grind up on him and stuff. And um, Flash is adjusting to having a psychic rapport with Dale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so he's having a hard time like editing his thoughts for, these are the thoughts that I want to send along, but also Aura is making me so horny right now. <laughs> and I just find it to be like this really, and he's not ashamed or anything. He's just like, you know, it's an, an extremely like human moment. And we had a nearly sold out crowd. They freaking had a great time with this screening. And I just think like Flash Gordon was a perfect capper to this comic book series that we started with Howard the Duck. Yeah, it feels a little <laughs> bit full circle yeah. where it's just like movies that we love that others might find not so great. Yeah, and you know, all of these screenings were co-sponsored by the Winchester comic book store, Four Color Fantasies. And Eric would come out to 
to all of them and he'd have like a short box of comics and he would sell books in the lobby afterward. And I just look back at this past year and I see all the, you know, comic book readers who are diehards. And I also look at all the people who came to him and then were a little bit curious afterwards and picked up some books. And I'm hoping that that series spawned some new readers. We had an eclectic range of films, you know, obviously from Howard the Duck to Flash Gordon, but in between there, we had the first Lone Wolf and Cub film, uh, the Dark Knight trilogy. I'll the never Mask. forget our, our screening of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Oh, yeah. When, I don't know why it didn't occur to us, but there were so many children there. <laughs> so many kids, so many kids. And we're going to continue screening movies at the Alamo Draft House in 2024. And I feel like it's a tall order to follow the lineup that we had mm -hmm. here. And we are starting on January 21st with another Marvel movie. We kicked things off with Howard the Duck, and then we didn't screen a single Marvel movie after that one. Mm -hmm. I also kind of love that. So it felt like we had to go back to Marvel. Um, but I wanted to pick something that's not quite Howard the Duck, but maybe doesn't have the reputation that I think it deserves, like Howard the Duck, yeah. right? So on the 21st of January at four o'clock at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia, we will be screening 2003's Hulk as directed by Ang Lee. And Lisa, have you actually seen the Eric Bana version? I am like 40% positive that I have, but off mic, you were like cueing me with some of the things that happened in the movie. And I'm like, maybe I haven't seen it. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> like it's an incredibly maligned film. I know that there are people out there who have a strong distaste for it. And I kind of understand why that might be. It's sort of like how I would not argue with anyone who really hates Howard the Duck. Uh, but personally, I respond very positively towards it. I really appreciate how Ang Lee tries to replicate the sequential form in the frames. Mm -hmm. There's actual panels within the frames. Oh, cool. I think that's a lot of fun. And I love, 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 love Nick Nolte's uh, absorbing man I type character. I must not have seen it. Maybe no? I saw some trailers or something. I have no idea. I'm the so climax big. of Hulk, which is one of those things that people go like, that is such a CGI mess, uh, is one of the reasons I love the movie because it becomes kind of a Shakespearean stage play that then uh, erupts into the clouds above Earth. <laughs> uh, Nick Nolte's monologue is so rage-fueled. I think it's a masterclass in acting to the heavens and then the characters actually go to the heavens. <laughs> like so Olympus? Good. Like they go to the heavens? <laughs> You're just going to have to watch it. Okay. Uh, January 21st at four o'clock. Uh, Brad's coming out to defend Ang Lee's Hulk. Brad's and, coming uh, Yeah. I, I like I, I, I think it's a good start for our second year of comic book movies at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia. And I think I feel comfortable saying what we're hoping to get for our February selection. Although when I've done it in the past, I've been disappointed because the studios go like, no, you can't show that. Yes, things are up in the air. <laughs> but that that so our our hope. Our hope. Our what hope. is on our vision board on for our vision 2024? Board, uh for February. 
we're hoping to screen Robert Townsend's Meteor Man, yeah. which is not technically based on a comic book. It's a superhero comedy movie that did get a comic book based on it, but it's an original idea from Robert Townsend. And uh, again, I, I think it's a movie that uh, deserves uh, some... Uh, discussion. Discussion, yeah, some discussion. So, yeah. Yeah, come on out to the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia. If you are a comic book couples counseling patron, you do get in for free. But you have to talk to us. You just have to let us know first. Yeah. I would really love to know what Sarah Meyer thinks of the 2003 uh, Hulk. Oh, I think they'd love it. Their heart seems open. Sarah is such a geek. And one of the joys of reading Monstrous is observing the birth of Sarah's passions, her geekdom. And how that geekdom was a safe haven for them and a source of joy and light for them, but also could be a filter for some toxic tendencies as well. So we get to see them as a young person balance those parts of their personality to kind of better themselves and and make themselves more happy and fulfilled. We first met Sarah at this year's New York Comic-Con. They were on our IDW publishing panel. And for me, they were the find of the con. Uh, yes, absolutely. And, and you know, Sarah has been coloring the Saturday Morning Adventures Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics, and then they went ahead and started doing the interiors. They just did the recent ShredderCon issue. And it's great. And it's that issue is so good. I freaking love it. I love Sarah's expressions, and we we I think we talk about their expressions and how they execute them in this yes, conversation. Yes, yes, and it comes from intimacy, intimacy with these with their understanding of these characters. And we picked up Monstrous from their table at Comic-Con after we had done their panel. And while I was reading Monstrous, I couldn't help but see the victory mm. of Sarah's life being at that panel. Because before all the other guests arrived, it was Lisa, Brad, and Sarah. And Sarah was holding court. Yes. They were in their element. And it was beautiful to see. But it was even more beautiful to see in the context of Monstrous, having watched their growth through their childhood to the person that they are today, to the artist that they are today. But you'll hear in this conversation that Monstrous is not by any means a complete story. <laughs> and there's so much more to them where I just want more volumes. I want more memoir from Sarah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, it has to be a tricky thing when you write a narrative like Monstrous and you do have, like, you know, uh, a climax and self-growth and uh, a victory, a triumph at the end of the book, but you're still living. You're still not done. <laughs> like, you're still cooking. Sarah is so young, so much life still ahead of them. Uh, and, and to treat, like, Monstrous as, like, this beginning, middle and end uh, is inaccurate. I think that's true to life though. Like, like we all have moments of clarity where we feel like a puzzle piece like click into place like ah and then you go oh like but all of this other area is still not put together and by the way the picture is always changing. Yeah. yeah. You know everything's moving and changing. You're constantly having to relearn lessons mm -hmm. right and, and even when you're in the moment you know what the right thing to do is the quote unquote right thing to do and you still can't do it because you're jumbled up with all your humanity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah uh, you know you write something like monstrous and even though you've accomplished it, I'm sure Sarah is going to have to relearn all the lessons that they accomplished in Monstrous. 
Monstrous is about Sarah navigating their identity as a transracial adoptee. They were adopted by white parents into a rural area of Baltimore. To me, it's so interesting how they pull out this just just one thread from their life and tell this what feels like to us a complete story when we know as readers and now like as fans that there is always so much more to it. I just get this sense of like really warm curiosity. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when you read a book like this, you want to know more Mm -hmm. from Sarah. And that's why we had to get Sarah on the podcast to really dig into Monstrous. I wish we had more time to talk about all the incredible work that they're doing on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. uh, But we're just going to have to save that conversation for a sequel episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, let's dig into Monstrous. The book is out now from First Second Books. But before we get into our conversation with Sarah Meyer all about it, we need to do some referrals. Sponsored by Omnibus. Omnibus is a modern digital comic book store and reader app carrying your favorite single issues, volumes, and omnibuses all day and date. Just like your local comic book store, you pay per book, but digital. Their focus is on building an excellent customer shopping and reading experience and using novel discovery features to help fans find their next new favorite book. They feature top-tier content and already have many of the top publishers in comics today. In the spirit of helping people find their next new favorite book, we have our referrals segment. The idea is to give you, the counselees, further reading on the themes of the episode. Think of it as us sending you to specialists to further your healing journey through comic books. And you can currently browse and shop Omnibus on any browser. You don't just need the iPad app. You can just pull up your phone, pull up your laptop, pull up your PC, type in Omnibus, hit that link in the show notes, and it'll take you right to the shop. You went first last time, Lisa, so I get to go first this time. I know that as an only child, taking terms is like extremely exciting and novel to you. You feel like the most generous person by taking turns. No, no, no. I always just want to go first. I always (laughs) just want to go first. I don't like not going first. Uh, So for my referral this week, pairing with Monstrous uh, from Sarah Meyer, I am going with... Cook Like Your Ancestors by Mariah Rose Marie, out now from Silver Sprocket. You should know that we love Silver Sprocket. We do. And it's a freaking delight that Silver Sprocket is on Omnibus. I spent a long time last night just going through every Silver Sprocket title that I have not yet read on the Omnibus app. You know, I was I was preparing for this conversation that we were having, but it was just like so much fun going yeah. through all the Silver Sprocket books. And uh, I picked up another one as well. Excited to read that. Uh, the Chromatic Fantasy. I hear that's one of the best books of this year, too. But that's not my referral. Cook Like Your Ancestors is my referral. This is an illustrated sequential comic book. Uh, I love food comic books, maybe not as much as Lisa does, but I do think they are always such a treat. And what's neat about Cook Like Your Ancestors is that it's not overly reliant on measurements. Oh. So you don't have to really worry so much about teaspoons and weighing things. It's more about connecting with your instinct and the way that they used to do it back in the day, like your ancestors, right? Oh, no. You're like, a pinch of this, 
a plop of that. Oh, God. You make some bread. It feels like chaos. <laughs> How can you possibly make bread? Baking is a science. Well, bake, bread's maybe not the best example, but, you know, like some goulash or whatever. Right? <laughs> okay. Terrifying. Uh, but the, the book is a lot of fun to read. There's a, a tremendous sense of energy to it. There's a lot of humor to it. Um, but it also really does feel like a way to connect to the past yeah. in a way that a lot of modern cookbooks don't, right? Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, as, as somebody who spends a lot of time listening to history audiobooks, this is the way I want to cook. I want to cook like my ancestors. I love it. You're looking at me so skeptical. Uh, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I was just kind of raised to not follow my instincts. You know what I mean? So like, it's like, uh, don't follow your instincts. They're probably bad. Let's defer to an expert. So like, you know, it just, I, it makes, it feels perilous to me to not measure, but maybe I do need to connect with well, my ancestors. Uh, but I think also you need to think about who's giving this referral, right? It's Brad. Like, Brad, you're like, yes, finally, I don't have to measure. <laughs> exactly. You know, of the two people that live in this apartment, you're the cook. You do the I'm most I'm the cooking. baker. Yeah. I, I do do the most yeah, cooking, that's true. You're the chef of the family. Oh, God. And I make Brad Mitches. Yeah, right? they're <laughs> delicious. Guys, you do not know the half of these sandwiches. They are so good. Uh, I mean, the key to a Brad Mitch is shopping at Wegmans and getting the cheese jalapeno loaf and oh, toasting God. that. That does so all the work good. for you. So good. Uh, but, like, I can do a Brad Mitch. I can do some scrambled eggs. But, uh, you know, making like a, a, a real meal is often too intimidating to me. And I think why I responded so much to, uh, you know, cook like your ancestors is the way that it embraces your instinct and just going like, OK, these are the flavors you're looking for. Play around with the amounts of spices that you're going to put into this dish. How fun. Yeah. I can't wait to taste the delicious meals that you make. My goulash. Yeah. My goulash, goulash, Lisa. My goulash. Uh, yeah. Uh, you're going to have to email us and see if I follow through by actually cooking some recipes from Cook Like Your Ancestors. But that's out from Silver Sprocket. It's on Omnibus. Uh, you know, hit up your browser, search it up, flip through, do the preview, and see what you think. All right, Lisa, your turn. You get to go second, which is also last. <laughs> oh, Brad, in our marriage, I've become very accustomed to finishing last. Oh, <laughs> That's not hey, true. Boo. It was just an easy joke, and a very you hard transition. You could finish this podcast into, without me. <laughs> into my referral, which is another memoir. I love memoirs. Uh, last night, I was guesting on another podcast, The Comic Book Yeti. Man, the hits just keep on coming. <laughs> and um, I kept on, I found myself saying, this is another memoir a handful of times. I just, I love memoirs. And um, so for my referral, I decided to go with Gender Queer, a oh. memoir by Maya Kobabi, colors by... Phoebe Kobabi, and what I find so beautiful about this book and why it pairs so nicely with Monstrous is that it's another story of someone grasping through the dark towards their own identity. And I think it's so important for these kinds of stories to be out there because they can act as guiding lights for other young people to find themselves. Yeah, considering how much this book has been in the cultural conversation, I have yet to read it, and that's unfortunate. I really need to dig into it. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. We own it now um, in physical copy. 
um, and digital in two places. We're buying this book wherever we can, and you should too. And both of these books, Cook Like Your Ancestors and Gender Queer, are available on Omnibus right now. Pull up your Tamagotchi and start <laughs> reading because you just need any kind of browser. Any screen will do. If you have a screen, you have a comic book. That joke will be even funnier when you get to the stinger of this episode. <laughs> Why, if it was ever funny. And now we've wrapped up our... Referrals. And it's time to get into our conversation with Sarah Meyer. I think we've done all the setup that you need. Enjoy, friends. <laughs> Sarah, welcome to Comic Book Couples Counseling. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me. We are so excited to talk all things Sarah Meyer Comics. Uh, we just finished reading Monstrous uh, a few hours ago. We wanted it fresh in our head. And it was a heck of a thing reading that comic and holding that comic in my imagination and also holding the memory of you at New York Comic Con holding court <laughs> at that Ninja Turtles panel before the rest of the guests arrived. And there was Sarah, master of their domain. <laughs> uh, can you reflect a little bit on what your younger self would think of where you are today? Uh, well, I think my younger self, young Sarah, would probably think, oh, okay, we're still a ham. That's good. Uh, <laughs> But I, I do think that younger Sarah would definitely be surprised uh, at the, I guess, the space that that I've, you know, current Sarah has been able to so lucky to to enter. And uh, I I think uh, I would hope probably uh, really happy that that older Sarah is is now able to um, be in contact with other people who love the same stuff. And not only that, but that incredible, you know, privilege to be able to be part of that panel and be one of the people on the stage. So I think younger Sarah would be really, really excited, I hope. <laughs> one of the scenes that stands out in my mind was um, the Operation Be Cool scene where <laughs> yeah. you're going through magazines and going like, this is how you do makeup. And and you went to school with like colors and glitter and all of this stuff and the and the like, you know, like the little mascara that you put in your hair, like we all did. Yeah. That. <laughs> Seeing you at the convention, you do still have fun with makeup and you do the glitter and all of that stuff. You were like the operation, Definitely. like you succeeded. You are operating, oh. <laughs> you are cool. Like, well, thank you. <laughs> a lot of times on this podcast, we're talking about like romantic couples. And one of the lessons we've learned from Dr. John Gottman, actually, is that people who look at their romance as a success story, as a triumph mm -hmm. over adversity, they have a tendency to stay together. Mm -hmm. where you have now contextualized your life story as this triumph. And how does that change your relationship with yourself? Oh, man. So so the makeup thing that I do now is the result of another sort of little journey that I, I don't that that would, I guess, be if if any publishers are listening, would be kind of a, a little sequel to Monstrous, mm. um, because I did go through a period after the, the scene in the book um, of, I think I, I gained kind of a slow and insidious sense of internalized misogyny that mm -hmm. I didn't realize. And I, I didn't really, I wanted to keep the book very tightly focused on a few aspects of my identity. So I feel like that the, the gender and the, the internalized misogyny and rejecting of things that I genuinely enjoyed as a, a little kid and, and now have come back to enjoying um, 
you know, with more confidence, um, you know, I think that could be a whole nother sort of book. But yeah, I for a while, I really uh, rejected, I think, a lot of things that I just, you know, as me, you know, regardless of uh, gender identity, um, I I really loved I've always loved sparkly things. I've always loved colors. And I think I've always been a bit of a flamboyant sort of character in general. Um, as a kid, I, I went to visit the Hope Diamond in the Smithsonian. And I remember my mom had described it to me as a, a large jewel that sparkles with all the colors of the rainbow. And when we went and we saw it um, in front of the guard, I just turned and I looked, I was like, is that it? And I was yeah, so disappointed. No, same, same. Because, <laughs> yeah. And I think 80s cartoons destroyed my sense of uh, what people wear, you know, it's like all the magical uh, items and things like that. And so I, I came, I've come back around to that as an adult, you know? Um, and so what you're seeing now is uh, whenever I go to conventions, I, I love to wear my suits and my ties and sometimes my fedoras and express that sort of aspect of my um, identity. But I also, I love to come back to using that color and I feel so much more confident now. I've, I've learned a lot, obviously about makeup since then, now with the internet, there's resources that I can look at for sort of how to um, uh, apply makeup if you have uh, different shaped eyes, you know, like monolids, like Asian eyes. Uh, and so I, I do feel really, um, I guess I really wanted to make sure that uh, people didn't get the sense from reading Monstrous that Sarah had to just learn to sort of tamper down those things that made Sarah get made fun of, you know. I wanted to really uh, sort of, suggest that there be a clear distinction between uh being made fun of uh or or being excluded um or bullied um for things that you can't change versus you know how much of that is also oh we just find this this kid weird or oh we just don't like this kid's makeup you know and um i wanted to sort of leave that up to the audience uh when looking at those um situations like the makeup thing how much of that you know the question is how much of that was racism how much of that was just young you know, preteens being judgy about looks and fashion. Um, so I, but I did ultimately want to frame it as, um, you know, Sarah, the triumph really was just not, not being so afraid of what people would think if Sarah wanted to dress up, you know? I love how you included, you lovingly included your friends making mistakes where there were individuals who were genuinely trying to love you, mm -hmm. but just we're just screwing it up. Like they were just being <laughs> awkward and, and making mistakes. And you also included that with your parents where, you know, yeah. they, they were the first people to ever raise a Sarah Meyer, you know, <laughs> like they were beginners. The scene where they go like, Oh, there is this arts magnet school. You're having a hard time at school. Mm -hmm. And there is this arts magnet school. Is that a place where you could go and feel safe? And at that time you were scared because the art thing was the thing that made you different, but also made you special, like, mm -hmm. like it's special in like a really like a way that that everybody accepted. Um, right. Do you ever think about like the parallel life you would have led? Oh, yeah. If you if your parents had just made you go to the magnet school or you had in that moment said yes. Yeah, I've I've thought about that a lot. Um, I remember freshman year at um, art college, you know after the events of the book, I I encountered so many uh, people who were like, oh, where did you go to high school? I went to a magnet school for arts or I, I you know, from different states and different schools. And um, uh, a few of them, I think, were a bit surprised uh, that I go into a public school, you know, public high school. Um, and uh, 
I guess my experiences with with that maybe might give me a bit of a glimpse into that parallel life uh, mm-hmm. because I was still I was so man, I went like wild uh, my when I was 18 in freshman year, but not in the ways you would think I was like, hey, let's all dress up like Naruto characters to class. Nobody could stop us now. And I was <laughs> and I literally was like rampaging through Savannah, Georgia, like, you know, wearing a Naruto headband. And, and when the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie in 2007 came out, I got mad at my best friend, still my best friend. Cause I was like, why don't you, I made this headband for you. Why don't you want to wear it? Like we can go and be color coded. And my friend was like, uh-uh, no, no thanks. <laughs> I was like, you're turning your back on the turtles. Like I was so, I, I was very much like, it's time to cosplay. It's time to go full first. But I remember being a little bit bratty, a little bit under the surface and a little competitive when I met some of these students who were like, oh, I always cosplayed. I cosplayed in my high school. All my friends liked anime. We went to an art school and I was like, really? Hmm. And I was thinking I have to I have to like out nerd them now. So it was almost like a weird it was a really, really weird subversion of what you might expect. Um, I'd like to say, you know, after the events of the book, then Sarah got along with everybody and everything was great. And uh, Sarah was modest and never like, you know, uh, never competitive in these nicer spaces that Sarah entered. But um, I so I think. It probably would have uh, maybe had its same like the same level of drama, just not so much for racism or or um, uh, I guess xenophobic attitudes towards anime. I'll bet I probably would have been then frustrated with um, and this is on me. This is just my volatile personality. I think I would have been like, there's this girl in my my senior high school class and she draws Sailor Moon better than me. I'm so mad. She got into mixing several times in the fan art section. And I feel like I would have been competitive. And, and I think a lot of that um, we see still today in um, fandoms, uh, unfortunately defending your tower, you know? Uh, And I, I am actually very sort of glad that I had a couple more years till I was able to enter a more inclusive and open-minded space and a more comics uh, front forward space because I probably would have lacked the maturity actually to handle being surrounded by other people with the same interests. I most likely would have gotten involved in way more drama than was necessary. And uh, being a little pe- bit pessimistic, I I certainly hope I wouldn't have done this, but I may have become a little bit more of a cosplay diva. I would have probably been more competitive against people, you know? Mm. So it's you probably know- a good thing that things turned out the way they did. <laughs> One of the aspects of Monstrous that I identified so much with were those moments with young Sarah, you know, getting the Sailor Moon party together (laughs) and going like, okay, all my friends are going to fall in love with Sailor Moon because I love it so much. I'm going to show them why Sailor Moon is great. And I was very much that kid when it came to comic books, Star Wars. Like I, I had friends who liked nerdy things, but it went to a point Right. And then it wouldn't go any further. And comics was like the thing that people wouldn't join me on, which was why when I went to a convention like Otakon, uh, yeah. know, we, we grew up in Northern Virginia. So we would go down to Baltimore for Baltimore awesome. Comic-Con. We'd go to Otakon and you would go to something like that and you would find your people there. Yeah. And the moment where your dad <laughs> saw you with your people and then realized like, this is you, you belong here yeah was such an emotional sequence in the comic book um oh thank you can you talk a little bit about the importance of you know embracing your own weirdness 
in in a bubble, but then also <laughs> finding a place like a convention where you can where that where that bubble is bursted. Right. Yeah. Where I, I wasn't uh, in many ways, I, I wasn't center stage like I sort of I, I think that's part of why the art school thing would have been a little bit dramatic and and complicated. But, yeah, it was it was such a a, a revelation for me. It was, I mean, literally life changing. And I, I hope that the art kind of portrayed that, you know, with the, the bright colors. But it, it really was like there are other people in the world just like me. And maybe some of them are even more excited about it, you know, because uh, um, I, I kind of amalgamized my first two years at Otakon, basically. I had mm. attended in 1999, but for the story's sake, I kind of combined those two years and had, because uh, 2000 is when I dressed as Ash Ketchum and I had that be like the first year. But uh, that first year when I saw uh, everybody, cos- you know, a lot of people cosplaying and I saw a Jigglypuff that had to lift up the puffy costume to get through <laughs> the escalator. And I remember being like, this is the best thing ever. This is like exactly where we need to go. And um, I still get so excited going to cons even now, you know, Um, but yeah, that was, it was surreal though. Uh, And I'm sure you can relate to that a little bit, you know, like it sounds like we, we really had similar mindsets about it and maybe still do. Um, I, man, (laughs) when I get, when I get into something, it's the, I can feel the slow slide. It's like, I can feel it in my brain. If I see, um, anything whether it's an animated short or whether it's a new a new comic or a new movie i think every like everybody in my my closest circle they're like oh oh no and i can i can feel them preparing too cuz they know what's about to happen it's about to be yes. 24/7 for the rest of the maybe 2 years possibly 20 years they don't know they don't know when <laughs> it's going to end <laughs> and um still to this day you know um conventions really they in some ways, I, I sometimes wonder uh, if that's a healthy thing, but I guess as long as you take from the anime, take from the comics, don't let the comics take you, you know, mm. um, still it's enjoy tricky. your life in other ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so it's it's amazing. It's like uh, if if one really wishes, I guess I, I don't have the money probably for this, but if one really wants to nowadays, isn't it surreal that if you can afford it at any given week? during the year, there's a convention going on somewhere, you know, in the world. That's so exciting. And such a change from the early 2000s. Yeah, big time. It's a huge yeah. change. It is wonderful. And I do need to make more money. <laughs> yeah, like uh, once the once the world kind of started opening up again, we really did like every convention that we could. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, we went to- We took whatever we had saved over those two years yeah. and then just spent it <laughs> on time. Um, in Monstrous, you took the pieces of yourself that were getting really ugly and getting really Mm -hmm. defensive and you put them in this monster part like that you kind of had to battle towards the end of the book. Was this monster, is it something you had visualized as a child or, or, or was it something that you discovered as you were creating a narrative out of your life oh definitely the second uh it was it was an adult creation editorializing and looking back um it was basically a a really amalgamizing uh and trying to find a visual representation for all of that internalized racism um you know i and i recognize that when people are first reading the book they may start to wonder if Oh, is the the monster supposed to be racism? You know, the racist, the racist attitudes. Technically, it's 
it's created sort of by that, but it, it like it starts out kind of being this sea monster in a way that's uh, just excluded. But then it over time, it starts to take on these characteristics that sort of um, uh, embody the the hang ups that I felt, you know, because of those things. So it 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 has a very it's sort of lacking a nose. <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't have a, a, a high nose bridge, I guess. And um, the eyes are are prominent but they are very much you know they're they're uncomfortable to look at because they're in many ways and and my editors were really great about this like we talked about we have to make sure that we avoid we make we have to make sure that it's clear in the book that this is a representation of internalized racism uh even though it shares characteristics with racial caricatures and racist caricatures um and, you know, for example, like the 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 tears coming out of the monster's eyes are like black ink in a way. It's like blood and black ink. Um, so it's kind of sort of almost you could say it's made up of like the ink that somebody would use to draw or create something or imagine it. Um, and it's meant to be really ferocious looking with those sort of snake like tons of teeth um, to sort of represent the anger that the character is feeling both towards oneself as well as projected outwards you know when you put your life into a comic and then that comic goes into bookstores you know it's, oh, yeah. it's on the shelves of our local barnes and noble now and anybody can pick it up and mm -hmm. anybody can read it and they'll be steered by the narrative but you know once the narrative is out of you it's it's you know it's it's on the audience to you know interpret it and yeah. like does do you worry at all about people interpreting it the wrong way a little bit um and you know i haven't really encountered too much in the way of that thankfully i think uh most most readers at least you know the the reviews that i've read and uh what people have said to me um thankfully i have not gotten any flame or hate mail or anything like that um uh i i read a review and i don't i wonder if it was taken down i'm not sure um and it was just an anonymous review um, on Goodreads a while back. Um, and I remember that the person had said that they felt the slurs were not Sarah's to use in the book in terms of, and, and they're referring to Sarah, the author. Um, and I was a bit baffled by that. And I, I thought to myself, I can see where definitely the book, I, I believe, should have a warning, you know, a content warning, which it does on on most websites. And I hope that people understand it is intended to be young adult, you know, Um and, uh, you know, the slurs within the book are to reflect that kind of very insular, the actual language that unfortunately was very common in high schools um, around that time. Uh, and to kind of depict a, a place in a time, too, you know, um, that uh, I mean, I, I think that I learned words that I didn't I wouldn't have otherwise known existed, uh, you know, if it wasn't for hearing it sometimes from ki other kids, you know, when they were really young. Um and, and racial slurs. Um, and I felt that it was really important to still keep those things in the book, even though I recognize they're offensive, you know? And I, I do think that some things um, are offensive because they're offensive and they're, you know, they have to be shown in that way because um, I did, I definitely did not want to sanitize the reflection of that time and place and that experience. Um, I wanted to show how that was, uh, those things were thrown around so casually um, and, to demonstrate sort of that that impact that it can have on people um and it's such a difference you know we don't uh many of us would not think of even using some of those other words that are ableist slurs you know um but i mean you go back and watch any 
teenage comedy from 1999, you know, like can't hardly wait. You you hear a whole bunch of things now that are very offensive. I graduated from high school in 2002. And mm -hmm. I know that there was language I was using that I am ashamed of now, mm -hmm. you know, where I just, it was just what was being said, right, you know, and right. I didn't really think of it in context of anyone, you know what I mean? Right. I see myself very, like, as very separate of like, I was never being bullied, mm -hmm. but I, I was also never the bully. So whenever mm -hmm. I see bullying portrayed, it always feels outrageous to me. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, I do feel like scandalized by like what people, what my peers were doing to each other. Right. Or, for me, I feel like it's really important that I see it the way that it actually was mm. because it was something that was happening separate, separate from me. I could, I mean, and, and, you know, I think that that's what some of my friends in theater uh, experience, you know, um, they, they experienced kind of that same thing. And, and there were things in the book that I, I didn't put in there. There were a bunch of conversations that were had, you know, where um, I, I got mad at um, a friend at the time because I, I would say how upset I was about things. And I know that this friend had and does have a good heart, you know what I mean? But they just, it, it just didn't occur to them. And I think part of it, as you were mentioning it, because I think that the thought to them of somebody disliking me because of my, my race was so ludicrous because they couldn't even fathom feeling that way or doing that, that I think they, they didn't see it, you know? And I genuinely believe I, I, um, what you're saying, I can relate to that to some of the, the people that I knew who were very kind to me and just really good people, but you know, they weren't about to, they weren't about to to walk down the hallway with me and like yell at everybody. You know what I mean? Because they they didn't they weren't aware of it. But you would also have the institution <clears throat> fail you. Yes, and, yeah. and, and, and it would fail you in a way like, well, you know, racism cannot possibly exist in this school. We're a good <laughs> right. school. Oh, oh, but also, like, they're like, I'm not going to address the racism. But I'm going to let Sarah hit some people. You know what I mean? Where <laughs> yeah. like that one teacher who who saw the situation and knew exactly what was happening. Oh yeah. You know, I would love like I would love the story from that teacher's perspective <laughs> where they're like I can't really do anything about this, but I'm just going <laughs> to let this one I'm just going to let this one go. It's like that yeah. teacher is the one who cast me as Gavrosh. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm trying to remember if that incident in the book, I believe it happens before Les Mis, but I mm -hmm. we had to switch things around. Les Mis was technically my junior year. So yeah. I'm trying to remember like what, but, um, and he actually, I remember that teacher uh, in uh, real life had uh, talked about how much he loved the work of Howard Ashman, uh, the mm -hmm. Disney composer from the Renaissance, uh, Disney Renaissance. And um, he said he grew up loving um, God, I, I can't imagine, like, I'm not sure how old he is now. He must be in his 80s or 90s if he is. I, I haven't checked up on him. But um, and growing up as a young man, he said he used to love listening to Broadway records and his uh, brother would tease him mercilessly. Well, I would say bullied at the time because it was genuinely homophobic uh, language that his brother would use. Um, and I I think he probably when he saw that, he was thinking, in some ways, I, you know, I'm not totally sure. I haven't asked him, but I'm sure that when he saw that, he's probably thinking about those things that he got a lot of crap for when he was young, you know, in a much more closed minded time, um, just because people thought he was gay. 
imagine that like just being being a a young man just wanting to listen to broadway musical uh scores and and records um i i guess in the uh maybe 40s maybe you know um and just imagine like being labeled uh, a certain way and then literally i mean for all we know he he really dealt with some dark stuff with that you know so um I, I think that when he saw that happening, he just it, it's like maybe that came out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think he had had that experience. He's like, I know this story. I've seen this a lot, mm -hmm. you know, a lot in my life. So um, I think that was partly why he did not really he he wanted to look the other way, I think, uh, for for my sake. Um, I love what a transformative decision it was for you to audition for Les Mis and then get to play Gavroche. And it, it re related back to like your cosplay and wanting to wear costumes as like a safe way to express your queerness, you mm -hmm. know, like in a, like a low committal kind of way where yeah. it's just like, it's just playing, you know, um, like, do you still, you still have the love of cosplay, but do you still have the love of like acting and singing and that kind of thing? Or was it just like a stopping place on the way to who you really are? Uh, I honestly, I still love it all. Um, I uh, actually, this is kind of a weird thing, but when I was drawing the Halloween special of Turtles, mm. uh, I was listening to uh, God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater by Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. Yeah. And there's a part like this is a very specific thing. But when Leonardo is uh, there, God, it's when they're in the, the Enchanted Forest or whatever. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's like, come on. And he turns around. He's like, guys and he's got like one fist at his side or something he's got one fist up and he's like guys we can't keep running <laughs> i was listening to um i elliot rosewater <laughs> on uh -huh. repeat like so that it does still influence me and as i i think i mentioned this in the new york comic-con panel um i feel like because i i never got into voice acting I, if i if i wasn't drawing i think mm. i would go into either music or or acting in some way because i i still love it um and I feel like I'm getting to live those dreams still through drawing these characters because I get to act as all the characters, you know. Um, and I, was it you guys that I was telling that I done it? Oh, Leonardo's a little bit yeah. in the show. And I think a lot of people forget about this, but he's a little delusional at times. Um, and my theory is that he he really he didn't actually have as serious an injury in that the uh, the four musket turtles or whatever it was. And he he was like, no, nah, I'm just going to pretend like, oh, I can't help what I'm doing, guys. Maybe you should wear these costumes, you know? <laughs> so I love to sort of uh, kind of put that a little bit into the comic. I haven't gotten a note from editorial just yet saying Leonardo looks really unhinged in this comic panel, dial it back or anything like that. But um, so I kind of get to act a little bit in, through that. Um, before and during the pandemic, I've abandoned it because I don't have the time with comics, thankfully. But um, I, I did have a uh, Donatello head that mm -hmm. I had worked on because I want to eventually make uh, a mascot suit costume. Mm -hmm. But I want it to be based on the 87 Turtles and then but use some of the the, I guess, look and aesthetic that they used in the Jim Henson 1990 movie. So kind of combining that cartoony look oh, with the live action. So if oh, I have time and money, <laughs> well, we got to find you some time. <laughs> I, I need, I need that I need to, to happen. That. Um, um, I would love to sell comics at my table wearing it <laughs> one day. Oh, <laughs> great, yeah, great, great for Instagrams and reels. <laughs> uh, you, you know, with monstrous, you take 
this moment in your life and you turn it into a graphic novel, like a totem. And Lisa was talking about it being as like a saga of triumph. And, you know, you get to the end. I'm not going to spoil the end. But the, the way that that ends, there is this sense of victory uh, with self, not over self, but with self. But you're still living your life. You know, yeah. like this is like a moment in 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 time. And I'm wondering what expressing yourself with this graphic novel does for you. Is it like an exorcism of sorts? Is it um, just a way for you to better communicate your own mm. feelings towards that period in your time? And, yeah. you know, the graphic novel Monstrous is continuing right now with you as yeah. you're living. Yeah. There are sequels that could be made. <laughs> and just because you had a victory and a triumph at the end of Monstrous doesn't mean that that is evergreen. Too, right. right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, for example, like, like I mentioned with uh, um, Lisa, your question about the, you know, had you gone to art school um, and, and then talking about what happened in freshman year of college, like I, Sarah definitely still had some, some issues going on, you know, and uh, I, I will say I, I do try very hard to, and I think I have in the years since Monstrous, you know, the events of Monstrous, I think I have tried very hard to be aware of how I treat other people. I've made many mistakes in the past anyway, you know, but um, that definitely had me going forward. Like, I, I think it also led me sometimes to be a bit naive in that time, too, um, because I would think, wait, you like <laughs> you like anime and comics and animation? just as much as I do, you must be a wonderful person. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And I, that's gotten me into some sort of a, some like friendships that really were not, not healthy. So, um, but yeah, I, it, I think uh, triumph with self. Uh, I think I did. I still did in the years afterwards have to come to terms with a lot of that internalized racism. Um, I definitely did still struggle with, um, almost being not like delusionally paranoid, but paranoid, you know, like terrified that people were going to just be really um, uh, just always have a, a negative and aversion, you know, when they saw me or something. Um, and I have to admit, I, for years, I wore sunglasses whenever I could, even if it was uh, almost nighttime, because I just mm. thought to myself, you know, somewhat delusionally, <laughs> they're not like the height. And then, you know, like people can tell I'm Asian, but I would think, Oh, if they can't see my eyes, everything's fine. <laughs> but mm. in you know, honestly, it may have had uh, being a little bit like humorous about it. It may have actually had the opposite effect. Of, like that person's really shady walking around at like <laughs> dusk with sunglasses on, you know. But um, so I did still uh, have a lot of things to reckon with after that. But uh, revisiting that, um, I definitely like working on monstrous. Uh, I did it during the pandemic, you know, um, my I, I was contracted for it in starting in uh, later 2019. So oh, wow. this is a pandemic book. And man, I there were times when I would be really crying. And I mean, literally crying while like <laughs> and, you know, just kind of crying and and drawing at the same time. I'd be like, oh, man, <laughs> like and yeah, it's kind of. Yeah, it was sort of like uh, I I was shocked at how much of I was shocked at how emotional I got while drawing some of those scenes, um, because in some ways it was like, uh, oh, what's coming up next in the script? Oh, yeah, that day. Oh, man. You know, 
Um, so it very much is uh, a very literally a visceral book. Like some of the lines uh, were actually drawn while the author was like, oh, God, like, <laughs> you know, mm. um, and uh, I looking back, I can feel a very, very big contrast in my mental state now versus when I was working on it. I was like probably super I was full of stress, full of anxiety, really worried. Um, and now that it's out, though, I do feel a, a sort of release of it, you know, a catharsis. And and, you know, I, I now find that I'm not as nervous as I thought I would be um, because the I think the response since it has been overwhelmingly pretty positive uh, and I'm very thankful for that. But I man, before it came out, before I started to see mm. those first positive reviews, I thought, and I remember telling my parents too on the phone, I said, so uh, this could be the book that literally gets me run out of every single, you know, place that I've ever been possibly, who knows? Um, I even had some uh, some high school friends who who were very supportive, but I actually had not really been much in touch with some of them since uh, we graduated. So mm -hmm. some of them showed up in my signing and that was amazing, you know? Aww. So uh, the support has been really uh a relief, I got to say, but I certainly was not expecting that kind of positive reaction. I thought for sure, this is a big risk, you know? And when you uh, hold the book now, can, like, when, do you, do you return to the book itself? Like, do you flip through it? Like, or does it stay on the shelf? Uh, sometimes I, I do, uh, honestly, especially after like uh, another person in my, my circle says, oh, hey, I got monstrous. Can't wait to read it. I'm like, Oh, that's great. And then they don't know that I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, what's in this book? Like, um, because it, it's so weird how too, like, I'll remember very vividly, like, oh, I remember drawing that. That was when it it snowed on that day and my cat was really bothering me. And specifically, I'll remember very vividly certain pages. Others I'm like, don't remember drawing that. I must have just completely dissociated while I was, you know, doing some of, you know, not not all, but a few of the sequences in the book. Um, I, I still get a little nauseous drawing inside the body stuff too. So that yeah, was okay. <laughs> Brad and I are both weird fears. We people. we have very unique phobias. I'm in a meta I'm in a metaphobe, which is fear uh I'm not even gonna say it. You can Google it. And then Brad has pulsophobia. Oh. He can't even talk about it. We've never we've never mentioned that on the podcast yeah. before. Yeah. Um but we're weird fears. And so it's like you know, it this feels bad, but I'm glad that it still bothers you because I like <laughs> I am not over like I'm not over weird fears. Like oh, like yeah. my weird fears was like it started in like third grade, second mm -hmm. grade, third grade, and it just like stuck with me. Yeah. You know? And it'll I mean it still will trigger severe panic attacks. Do you do you think that like do you like I'm a like I'm afraid to be cured. Like mm -hmm. I'm actively afraid of it. Is it something is is like is that something about yourself you want to resolve or are uh, you just like, eh, this is just part of my weirds. I was somewhat forced recently to have, uh, I guess you could say a very informal exposure therapy because yeah. the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Saturday morning adventures. Number four oh. issue was, uh, it was called, uh, thanks, Eric, um, Big Trouble Inside Master Splinter. I didn't even make that connection. Yes. And I, I didn't have to draw it. I was I was the colorist at, still mm -hmm. at that point. Um, but it was, and I want you to imagine for a little bit of levity, me basically just like, uh, and, and like coloring it, like at my Satique and just 
you know, I'm exaggerating. I didn't pass out, but I definitely, I was like, eh. and, <laughs> uh, and that wasn't so bad. I, this is a weird thing to say, and I hope you guys don't have the same fear as me, but essentially I thought to myself, huh, this is making me realize I don't have as much of the fear of the blood vessels. It's mm -hmm. actually more of a digestion fear. Yeah. Like, like, you know, people yeah. being eaten. That's so gross. Like, and that happens so much in cartoons. It and does. I still can't really watch like a lot of older Disney cartoons. Um, my best friend and I are now rewatching a lot. And I was like, okay, so we can't watch the brave little Taylor. If we do, we have to fast forward through the mouth scene where he's inside the mouth. Mm -hmm. And then Pinocchio, I, I still probably could never, uh, I, I just, Monstro is so, he's scary anyway. Right. But, um, and, and the more realistic it is, the freakier. I'm not as scared, I would say, if it's like something more like Monstro would be less scary to me than, than the Magic School Bus episode. I can't do that. Like, that is right. so terrifying to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. So um, I'll just say, my my phobia is vomit and vomiting. So, right. like, you know, like, uh, uh, The Little Mermaid, important movie to the both oh, of us. Grim. But there is that one yeah. scene on the boat Grim where Grimsby. I'm just like, yeah. And so yeah. where I get like the like the like I where it's just like even as a kid, I was like, I'm closing my eyes, I'm plugging my ears. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And you still do. I still do. Still I do. still I understand. I still hate it. Um, but you have no desire. I to... no, it's gonna be exposure therapy and no thanks. Right. You know right. what I mean? I'm just taking yeah, this no. to the end. <laughs> I, I hadn't thought about that. That actually that would be a very yeah, very challenging and and potentially medically hazardous kind of uh sort of exposure therapy yeah. so yeah no i understand that completely that's it's, unpleasant it is yeah. really gross um i'm changing the subject <laughs> i'm not but, but but like but the idea of you exploring it and mm -hmm. i was just like one more aspect of monstrous that is just so vulnerable and you bring and, it back so poetically at the end oh, of thank the book. <laughs> in in exploring it you have to do it yeah right and i don't think a lot of people truly appreciate how difficult that can be yeah i wrote it i wrote an article for after movie diner mm -hmm. about um being a metaphobe going mm -hmm. to movies and how every like going to film festivals was like a really terrifying experience for me because i you know i just didn't know what was going to happen and mm -hmm. like and i think that's part of what the the fear is is just like it's like the same thing as, as your fear where it's just like i feel a lack of control yes like, but life is unpredictable Things are happening and I like, and you don't know when, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Yeah, you know? for sure. Um, uh, yeah. So there's no real question there's there. No question. <laughs> I'm just like feeling a deep empathy right now. Oh yeah. No, I, and, and I appreciate you guys sharing that. Cause honestly, like, I think a lot of people are morbidly curious about their own fears and other people's fears. And yeah. I mean, I, I didn't put this in the book, but I, I have a, I have a fear of uh, caterpillars. Um, I do not I I will scream hysterically and start crying and I probably I, I'm fine with sharing this and I thought this to myself when I was writing the book I I don't consider myself to be somebody who has any enemies per se but I thought to myself you know if somebody really wanted to be not a good person they could use that against me and I was like eh, you know let them let them do it that's on them you know right right I have the same we've thing. had that same thought because like Where the moment you put an art like you know what you know out into the world mm -hmm. you, you do go like well now people know my phobia will they turn <laughs> that phobia on me right i mean i've had some really like awkward yeah. conversations but mm. people have generally but been generally really people nice. are really uh, nice yeah <laughs> uh, 
uh, I have some like, like kind of like unresolved questions that I still have. Like, oh, sure. um, like, uh, I feel like we've oversold like the, the sense of resolution at the end of the book. I feel like there are still these hanging curiosities that I have where I'm like, uh, you know, I would, I would love to go into this deeper, like, mm-hmm. um, your relation to your adoption story mm-hmm. is still unresolved. Like at the end of the book, you're like, I, I may or may not know, but I'm right. I'm now at this place where like I could go either way, I guess. And then also right. your relationship with your sister, where even at mm-hmm. the beginning of the book, you right away say like in the present, not resolved. You know what I mean? Right. Are those things like after finishing the book where you're like, okay, now that I've put that kind of out in the world, I'm now ready to explore this further? Or are those just the kinds of things where you're like, and you don't get answers to everything or you don't get solutions to everything? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, and and granted, you know, with my sister, uh, it's more just um, that I recognize we will never really see eye to eye on many things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we still, we're, we're, you know, we still see each other at holidays, obviously. And, and it's nice. Um, I, I would say the only thing that we really seem to have in common as adults is uh, we sort of like to uh, party for a few years there. Um, and um, we both thought The Hangover was really funny at the time. Um, <laughs> uh, talk about another movie that I probably will go back and watch and go, oh, um, but uh, we we both, you know, we have that that. I guess uh, shared pop culture kind of background, you know, we both Mm -hmm. still like 10 things I hate about you, that movie. Um, So we, we still, you know, we get along. Okay. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say with the book is that I I will never really, uh, I don't think I'll get my sister to go to a convention unless I trick her somehow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that would Mm -hmm. not be good. (laughs) Um, uh, Ironically, my sister is actually a speech pathologist. um, And so she deals with uh, inner ear stuff. And I thought that's "That's hilarious. So it's like, please, let's not talk about work. Like, let's not talk about it. Nobody's interested. (laughs) But uh, yeah, um, in terms of the the birth parent search, um, I did find a half uh, genetic half sibling who uh, but the thing is, the Centa Morgans were, it was something like over 1,500, which is a lot, you know, because mm. um, I think you have, so, it's something like with a cousin, you you have something like 200, you know what I mean? Or 300 with a, with a half sibling, it's like 1,500. And we had a, a really strong match. She is on the West Coast. Uh, mm. She's older than me by, um, I guess, a little over uh, a decade. Um, so um or, or a little bit old, even more than that, I think. And so that raises more questions, you know, but um, we've talked on Facebook and we're friends on Facebook and it's been really nice to get to know her and, and her family. But, uh, you know, she doesn't have the the one the major question that I'm sure you can guess I, I was wondering about, you know, because uh, it, which raises questions also about the parentage, you know, mm-hmm. I was thinking, well, we share one parent. We don't right. really know which parent it is, though. That's interesting. Right. So, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Do you see yourself putting a book like, well, well, yeah, you have. You've talked about it a little bit already. Like there's a possible uh, a, another memoir in you. Like mm-hmm. d- does the memoir feel like a go-to uh, medium for your creativity now? 
I, in some ways, yeah, I, I really want to do a graphic novel that is uh, fiction and I've, uh, I've got a pitch that I've been sort of, you know, working on and, um, but that still comes a lot from sort of experiences that I've had. Um, I'll just say really quickly, it's like a, that fictional one is about theater, uh, it's about characters though who go to you know to a college to study theater and acting and playwright uh playwriting and um it's kind of uh loosely based on all about eve and it's a modern day mm. kind of story and it's about a playwright who becomes fast and quick friends with a very charismatic and ultimately very narcissistically abusive figure um and to some degree I, I guess you could say I would be drawing from some of my past experiences with with not so great friendships uh, that mm -hmm. I've I've jumped into, and um, because I really feel like toxic friendships is something that people don't talk a lot about, um, and I thought to myself, what better setting to demonstrate this than a theater, a group of theater hopefuls, and then they're putting on plays while all this stuff is going on too. So I get the chance to sort of costume the characters mm. and light the sets you know and kind of have these things play out but um that's that's the fictional story that i'm working on that i i hope to will find a publisher but um i definitely would like to revisit uh memoirs though um whether it be uh i may make it a little bit maybe not so much a direct sequel to monstrous but more just something uh semi you know memoir kind of like this is about a young adult as they sort of are trying to find their place in uh, a much more open college, you know, mm -hmm. kind of thing yeah. and fictionalize oh, it a little bit more. I love the idea of toxic friendships because we, what was the movie we just watched last night? I'm horrible Bro with proper nouns. We watched broadcast news. When was the last time you watched that? Have you seen broadcast oh, news? I don't think I've seen it. 1985. Oh, highly uh, recommend because ooh. it is like it, it was made in the eighties. And mm -hmm. there is an uber toxic character in it. And I right. don't, I can't tell if the movie knows. You know what I mean? Oh, like, really? Yeah. The 80s was such like a weird time. Yeah. Like, and it, it has a like a male female friendship that is just like for me, like I was like literally crawling up the walls. Like, this, Ooh, this yeah. person is a terrible person. Does the movie know? It's super compelling. Right. Oh, so good. I'm glad yeah. that you, you brought up that phrase too does the movie know because that is the thing that mm -hmm. that's one of like that's kind of what we've sort of did, talking about with narrative like making sure that the audience understands because you just because we're portraying really bad things happening it doesn't mean that we're saying these are things we think should happen in life all the time you know yeah. <laughs> um yeah. and and it is interesting when you have a piece of media that you're not sure what whether the book is condemning or condoning the behavior or the the movie is condemning condemning or condoning the behavior of her, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially if it's an aspect that you are defensive about, you know what I mean? Like if you're right. going to a book and there are things in the book that are triggering for any number of reasons and mm -hmm. you go like, well, is this actually a safe place? You know what I mean? Right, is this book right. actually a safe place for me? Do the, does does the movie know? Does, does the, the book, book know? Right. Yeah. yeah. And there's there are plenty yeah. of stories out there too where the the abuser or the abusive character is portrayed as being in the right. Mm -hmm. Um as opposed to as opposed to maybe just portraying it as the realistic way that sometimes the abuser doesn't receive punishment or isn't yeah. caught, you know? In some yeah. ways that can be 
weirdly validating for victims in real life who have never gained closure. They almost feel validated in seeing, okay, the, the, it's sad to see that happen, you know, when, when an abuser is not captured or punished or whatever in a, a work of fiction, but sometimes it's validating to see that it's portraying the way that life happens sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. but as long as the, the book is not, the book knows. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. 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 It's, yeah. A, it's, it's a fascinating thing to, to encounter. And I, I feel like the further you go back, uh, oftentimes the, the book or the movie does not know, actually. Yeah. I would say that mm -hmm. broadcast news oh, yeah. does not know Lisa based on the last mm. scene of that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But my, my one, like, okay. off of my, like, little page of notes, I'm doing some foliage. Sure. <laughs> um, the only other note I have is the irony of the Looney Tunes store in the late 90s, early 2000s. Warner Brothers. I, I feel like that's, like, a cultural phenomenon that deserves to be explored. Because, like, it was a time where people were like, yeah, to wear Tweety is really badass. <laughs> And yeah. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get a tattoo now in 1999. But, but to watch Tweety cartoons was not. Cool. Oh yeah, yeah, it was not oh, yeah. complicated. That complicated. for sure. I, I love that you you know stuck your finger right on that cultural touchstone because it like <laughs> I remember like what like where the Looney Tunes the the Warner Brothers store was there in the mall and mm -hmm. it was at Fair Oaks Mall and then it wasn't and we never spoke about it again. Oh wow, yeah. It and it was it was like around uh, the thing is I in my maybe I'm remembering it wrong what year this was in. Mm -hmm. I want to say that some of it started to show up shortly before Space Jam. Yes. And and yes. it's like a chicken or the egg thing cuz I'm like, so are we deciding that Bugs is real hip and um and Tweety's got a bad attitude with two Ds, you know? Um yeah. Uh, before or after Space Jam, I think it was almost leading up to it. And then the hilarious thing is, remember Disney tried to get in on it too. They're like, uh -huh. "Yeah, we're we're cool too." Like, here's here's Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And it just it did not have the same feeling. And I was like, "Oh man, Disney <laughs> did not work. It did not work for Disney." I haven't thought about that in years, uh, decades. But I, you know, I had uh, I had the. Like I, for some reason, I was like Marvin Martian. That's my guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about Clueless now with uh, Brittany Murphy's character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness, yep. uh, Sarah. We could talk to you all day. I've been telling everyone like you were my discovery of New York Comic Con. Oh. If I had come out of New New York Comic Con and all I had done was met you and started really looking into your stuff, I'd be like success. Like, oh, thank you. <laughs> And, and, you know, we've been talking primarily about Monstrous, but you're also having like the time of your life right now on uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Saturday Morning Adventures. The Chrome yes. Dome issue was so good. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. Um, and like, is there thank anything you. that you can uh, tease about your Ninja Turtles journey right now for oh, yeah. our listeners? Uh, okay, so I've got... I'm currently drawing my fifth uh, Turtles comic that I've been the artist on. Um, and it is featuring April. So that's nice. all I can really say. Um, and that's been fun. Uh, I, I'm trying to think. I didn't bother to check to see if the cover's been revealed yet for the pre-order. So, but that'll be in 2024, springtime. Um, and then um, I'll be drawing 
three more issues after that. That's all that I can say for now. Um, but in this month, the Shredder uh, Con issue number seven is coming out. That was fun to draw. I have the B cover for that. And then my very first A cover will be coming out for the number eight issue in uh, what month is it? In December next month. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And that's actually featuring Mr. Og and the turtles are being sort of, I guess, sued by Mr. Og or taken to court. <laughs> and it's hilarious. And and all the credit has to go to Eric, who wrote that, um, because Mr. Og, if you, you, you guys might recall, he ate pottery and he was like a tiny Pee Wee Herman little nymph creature or like, yeah, imp creature, I should say, not nymph, imp imp creature. I was flo- not a around. fan. Yeah, no. But here's the thing. And this is shocking. I really enjoyed drawing him in Eric's script because okay. like it just it was so funny. Like that script, even if you don't enjoy enjoy my drawings as much, I hope that you'll you'll get it just to read the dialogue and just to read what's going on because basically it's Og suing the turtles for breaking the fourth wall. Um, and uh, I had a lot of fun putting a lot of really irritated looking Raphael in the background and <laughs> or or you know, staring straight at the reader, like, can you believe this? Um, but drawing Mr. Og became my favorite part of that because, uh, and I can't give any too much away, but there's this bit where Donatello's trying to outsmart him, much to the irritation of Mr. Og. So I it was like revenge of all the 80s cartoon you know, Turtles cartoon fans who didn't like the character, we get to see him really sort of get frustrated. I'm like, okay. oh, oh my, <laughs> how the tables have turned. <laughs> oh, so boy. Fun. The Saturday Morning Adventures Ninja Turtles co- comics have been such a blast. I mean, a gift. They are a gift. They are the <laughs> they are the the stories that we were robbed when that show went away, <laughs> or even when the show was on. Like the, the you know, I don't want to, you know, maybe I shouldn't say this, but like the comics are so. I mean, they're better. They're like they're better than oh. a lot of the, the cartoons. They're they're just so perfect. Yeah. So well, I'm, I'm glad so you're glad having that the you're time of your life it. on them. Oh, yeah. oh thank you. <laughs> I'm I'm so glad you guys are enjoying it. I um, I really yeah, it's totally a dream come true. So I'm hoping that there's more turtles in my future. <laughs> yeah, and I think like now you know having read Monstrous and seeing your Ninja Turtles work. Like they're in conversation with each other, yes, and it's it's you just feel like you know I want to high five young Sarah. Oh. You know? <laughs> yeah, you did it. <laughs> uh, well, thank Sarah, you. thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, for our listeners who want to continue this conversation with you online, where can they find you? Um, on Instagram, uh, my username is at. S. Meyer Comics, S-M-Y-E-R Comics. Uh, that's an important distinction to make. I think Meyer's a commonly misspelled last name, M-Y-E-R. <laughs> um, and uh, my website is uh, Sarah Meyer, S-A-R-A-H-M-Y-E-R.net. Um, and I, I somewhat update my my Twitter. That's also at S. Meyer Comics, but I don't update that as, as frequently as Instagram. I think Instagram and my website um, are the best places to reach me. And we'll have links in the show notes for everybody. And of course, head to your local comic dealer and pick up Monstrous, please. <laughs> I love, uh, I'm going to say one more uh, thing. Are, are you, are, are you... you can record it and then you can cut it out, Brad, if you think about it. It's <laughs> okay. done. Um, I, I like how you include the note from your drama teacher, I think, at the end of the book and how they misspell your name. 
Oh, and you still include it. Like, it's just like, even the people who love you don't completely see you. Right. Or didn't completely see you at that time. Oh, yeah. That was from one of the, the other cast members' mother. Uh, oh. Um, and yeah. Uh, oh, man. And also the reason why now it's kind of a funny and, and weird problem with because Sarah Meyer is a fairly I guess it's it's like a John Smith type name, I guess, mm -hmm, in a way. Mm -hmm. um, there's actually an animation professional who's a little bit older than me who lives out on, on the West Coast, whose name is Sarah E. Meyer, but her name is S-A-R-A-H, the same as my first name. Her middle initial is the same. My middle name is is Ellen, you know, and then. Uh, I don't know what her middle name is. Uh, and then her last name, though, has the extra E, M-E-Y-E-R, oh. which is the common spelling. Uh, and she's worked on, weirdly, Robot Chicken and wow. other Cartoon Network things and Moral Oral, um, which I love. Um, and I was like, imagine how I felt when I was watching the credits. I was like, oh, my God, is that like me in a parallel dimension <laughs> where I like went, in, went into animation instead of comics? Um, but yeah, I mean, and... Apparently she's an Emmy award winner. So uh, please well, do not mix me up with, <laughs> please don't mix me up. Uh, everybody out there with the much more successful West coast, Sarah E. Meyer. <laughs> more Sarah Meyers in the world. Yes. That's what we want. I want to see them in all of the universes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Now we can stop. Now we'll stop recording. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Let's see here. How do I stop that recording? There you go. <laughs> And there you have it, our deep dive conversation into Monstrous, a transracial adoption story from Sarah Meyer with Sarah Meyer. The, our personal favorite Sarah of Meyer. Of all the Sarahs, the best <laughs> Sarah Meyer. I'm sorry this episode is so long. It's just that I am campaigning very hard to be Sarah Meyer's new best friend. <laughs> that is true. That is very vulnerable for me to say, but it is 100% Sarah is so cool. I mean, it, it, you know, the moment we met them, we were like, we need to fold them into our actual friend base. And knowing that they are also team weird fears, yeah. uh, the solidarity. Oh, I, like that connection when you're reading Monstrous, like when I was reading Monstrous and we got to that point where it starts to explore their weird fears, it's like, oh, Sarah and Lisa have a lot in common. We are scared. I was so impressed considering how they had to confront and challenge that weird fear when coloring that Ninja Turtles issue. And drawing their memoir. Like, like um, that's some exposure therapy, uh, which I refuse to do. Right, by the way, right, right. By we've, the way. Like, we've, we've talked about exposure therapy, and it's just not going to happen. The closest thing I had to that was writing that Emetophobe at the Cinema article for After Movie Diner. Oh, I wonder if that's still online. If it is, I'll find it, and I'll put a link to the After Movie Diner article in the show notes of this episode. Yeah, so like when I was writing that article, I was talking about what it's like to have a metaphobia and then go to movies that have not been pre-screened, so I don't know if my trigger is going to happen. And like um, when I first started going to film festivals, it was like, Panic Attack City. Especially Fantastic Fest, yeah. where that element is too frequent. Yeah. Too frequent. Yeah. So, like, I had to write that article, like, in bursts. And then, after I had finished the article, I had to tell the editor what kind of pictures he could pair with the article so that other people like me can actually, like, read it. 
And then he also included a picture of a can of soup that I found really creepy. <laughs> For some reason. It's think, in the can. You can't see anything, but it just gave me the chills. Do you think writing that article helped you evolve your relationship with the metaphobia? Because I feel like you've managed that phobia a lot better in recent years. I think, like, my my tools have changed. I think, like... Once I got over the idea of, like, I I have to hide this or, like, you know, like, or when I tell people about it, they're going to judge me for it. I've kind of gotten over that. And, like, a lot of the issue at film festivals is the meta emotion of, like, I'm having a panic attack and I'm frightened and I'm ashamed and I feel very exposed right now. Like, once I kind of got over that meta emotion, I kind of was just like, okay, I don't feel safe. I'm walking out. I don't feel safe. I'm just closing my eyes and plugging my ears, like that kind of thing. But it was an incredibly vulnerable thing for you to explore in that After Movie Diner article, as it was an incredibly vulnerable thing for Sarah Meyer, not only to put it into monstrous, the graphic novel, but then to come onto shows like ours and discuss yeah, it. Yeah. And, and discuss everything that's in Monstrous. I mean, it's such an, uh, an exposed human in this book. Mm -hmm. And to expose yourself in that way, um, I can't imagine that challenge. I don't know if I could do it about my boring life, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it feels like such a privilege to read and an even greater privilege to be able to talk to Sarah about it. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, like it's like we said, it's one of our favorite graphic novels of the year. You're going to hear about it on the Stampies. It will absolutely place there. And I think a lot of people could benefit from this book. And if you're a nerd of any kind, like you're going to connect to it on several other levels. Yeah, it's so relatable. Yeah, it's extremely relatable. Uh, uh, Baltimore Comic Con, or uh, not Baltimore Comic Con, uh, Otacon. Yeah. Or do, or do both of them come up? Baltimore Comic Con and Otacon? I can't remember. One or both pop up in Monster and reading those sequences and during those years, I was like, I was at that show with that year. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the, you know, it's fun. It's just fun. It's just fun. It's just fun. Uh, okay. I think that's going to do it for this episode, but coming on the heels of this one real quick will be the Stampies part one, our annual award show celebrating the best comics of the year. There have been so many good books in 2023. Coming up with just a few stampies was very difficult. Mm -hmm. Narrowing it down to this selection was difficult, but also really, really fun. And we've invited a bunch of our fellow podcasters and journalists to contribute some audio clips naming their favorite books of the year. So you're going to get a lot of recommendations in our next two episodes. Of course, the Stampies Part 1 is next week, and then the week after that, we're going to close out 2023 with The Stampies Part 2. And Lisa and I were considering also putting together an article for the website, yeah. just naming like the 50 best books of the year because there were so many that we couldn't include in the Stampies. And we will also have an article on the site, which might actually already be up, called The Most Anticipated Comics of 2024 
The future is bright, my friends. Yeah, but it in- involves a lot of work on our part. A lot of writing. <laughs> and I still have done barely any Christmas shopping. See ya at yeah. the mall, and we guys. Have, we, we haven't recorded the stampies. And, uh, oh and we're freaking out a little oh bit. We're freaking out a little it'll, bit. It'll all get done. Uh, but uh, happy holidays, everyone. Yeah. Uh, and I hope uh, you get the treats that you want. And I, I hope uh, 2023 is going to close out in a really wonderful way for you. And uh, 2024... It's got to be better, right? It's got to be better. Right. Okay, Brad, I have a showdown with a manifestation of my toxic impulses. So we got to sign out. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh, You can find me on most social medias at MouthDork. If you have some words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Me? I'm always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever app you prefer. Actually, I looked this up. We're on Audible. We are. Yeah, how fun. We're everywhere. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on all the socials at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? Yes, please. We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. And actually, we have a really kind review on Audible. We do. We have one review on Audible, and it really warmed my heart. So thank you. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Wait, I have a joke. You have a joke. I have a joke. So leave some space because you're going to want to edit it out. Okay, the space is here. So, you know, like, if you have a phone, you have a lawyer? Yeah. If you have a screen, you have a comic book. For example, right now, I'm reading Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Saturday Morning Adventures off of my Tamagotchi from the 90s. That's the funny part? Yeah, you can can edit it out. I'm erasing all of that. (laughs) That's for the best. I may leave it as a stinger. Uh, that's embarrassing. But there's some other stuff that might be a better stinger. You're, you're probably right. This is probably just going in that little trash can at the bottom of your screen, which is for the best. <laughs> you are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four color realm. In this episode, we're going to go to the grocery store to... Oh, sorry. We are going to go to the grocery store. We are going to go to the grocery store. My shirt's not backwards.